You're listening to Irish Illustrated Insider. It's Monday, November 22nd. I'm Tim Priester with Tim O'Malley and Pete Sampson. Notre Dame coming off of its 55 to nothing victory over Georgia Tech to move to 10 and 1. Notre Dame's fifth straight season with double digit victories and a trip to Stanford this weekend. A reminder for everybody our podcast, which is normally on Thursday, that's a holiday. So we're going to do it on Wednesday, November 24th. So look for that. And uh, guys, let's. We're probably not going to talk a whole lot about Georgia Tech because it was so one-sided. But you know, Nordheim's offense did what it had to do. We're not. Nobody's complaining about leaving points on the field. I don't think anybody's complaining about Tyler Butner and his his playing time. He, he got everything but the first series of the second half. But defensively, and again, we know that Nordheim's not going against powerhouses here in the second half of the season. But to give up nine points in the last twelve quarters is is pretty impressive. While scoring 14, right? I mean, that's that's part of it. It's like it, and they're doing, you know, for all the differences between Marcus Freeman's defense and Clark Lee's defense. I mean, one of the well, they even calling cards of Clark Lee's defenses was like make bad quarterbacks look hopeless, and this defense does that now. Um, the last three quarterbacks they've played have been have been bad, and they have made them look even worse than that. Like inept, can't function. Um, and so that, that's a good way to play defense, take hope away. Um, and I think that's, that's sort of what they've done over the last three weeks. What I liked about Saturday was uh, that third down pressure was kind of what we envisioned watching Leah Fow and Batello and everybody else in August. We were watching the third down package against Notre Dame's offense, just wrecking everything Notre Dame wanted to do up front. That They wrecked everything Georgia Tech wanted to do. It's, it's also interesting, Pete, you mentioned the quarterbacks. I don't want to take anything away from Notre Dame, but they have beaten three straight backup quarterbacks too. And yeah, that's what really I'm saying. Uh, yeah, I felt watching the game, there's no way Georgia Tech's going to score. Like you're sitting there, or they come across midfield, you're like, I don't think they're going to score. You can put it wherever they want. They're not going to get in there. And that's it's a sign of a defense playing its best ball. And Isaiah Foskey is the trigger man for that, in my opinion. Yeah, and I, I speculated in tail of tape today that Marcus Freeman must not have feared their wide receivers because – I mean, Jordan Yates compared to Jay Wolfolk the week before, at least Jordan Yates had played and showed that he could, uh, you know, establish something offensively, but they were attacking the line of scrimmage. I mean, you know, Tariq Bracey looks like he could be a pretty good blitzer from the, the nickel or cornerback position because he times it well. He disguises it very well and, and does a really nice job, but they were attacking the line of scrimmage. And speaking of, of Bracey, I thought Bracey and Lewis, played really good football Saturday, certainly very physical and aggressive football. Yeah, I, I thought Hart did too. I mean, I think Hart uh, breaking up a couple passes, contested yep. passes. It's, I guess Cam Hart is a kind of good, good example of Pete's, you know, growth isn't linear for, for college football players. He had a great uh, middle part of the season. He's just been kind of good since he's had, he gets targeted more than he used to. And He's learning from this year and he's going to be a really, I think it'll be a really good corner next year. And it's uh, they probably need him to be a really good corner in January 1st or December 30th too. It's going to be yeah, a bit so, more of a test. I mean, mostly just with the defense. Don't you watch this group and think like, this is the definition of greater than the sum of your parts. I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't get much greater than the sum of these parts. Well, that's and a, what they've done yeah. lately. I, I do love the defensive lines point. parts though. And that's the biggest yeah, but I, Pete, that's you're talking about the back seven pretty much. Yes. Right? Yeah, because yeah, it, yeah, it all yeah. fits together. Like, sure. there's not a good defense around that doesn't have a couple great pieces. Like, Notre Dame has some great pieces, but, like, the back seven is 
you got banged up linebackers, you got some backup defensive backs, young guys, you're missing your best yeah. player who you built your entire coverage scheme around. And then you do this. It's it's really remarkable. Let me actually to put a point on that for for you guys. The Rovers, Jack Kaiser and Isaiah Pryor. They have combined, this is a Monday musing, for 73 tackles, including 11 run stuffs, two interception touchdowns, six pass breakups, 10 quarterback pressures. Wow. Those are the guys replacing Ousu Koromoa. Now, Ousu Koromoa's numbers were better than that, maybe not all the way across the board, but very close. But that is incredible that, that alternating rovers can, and he's really found a way to use them expertly too. Like Isaiah Pryor gets the, gets the uh, quarterback pressures and Jack Kaiser breaks up the passes. He just has them in the right spot. Yeah, Bo Bauer had a great game. Uh, Brian Kelly mentioned that this is a great, this defense is a great fit for him. I don't know why he hasn't played more, if if that's the case, but uh, perhaps that leads to something uh, in 2022 with Bauer. But to echo your sentiments, Tim, about uh, about Isaiah Foskey, he he was he was a beast on on Saturday, and Myron Tagovailoa Mosa was a beneficiary of, of one of those. And what an amazing 70 yard run. I mean, here, yeah. here's a guy, you know, he's coming off the flu. He's still, he's still sick and he's got, he's got running backs chasing him. And I, I just, I figured at some point, maybe the old version of MTA, you know, 20, 25 pounds heavier would have had a lot more difficulty with that, but what an incredible 70 yard run by him. And, and, you know, I thought maybe Jason Adam Malola could have, that could have been a block in the back, right, uh, on the return. Oh yeah, but uh, uh, you it was know. too fun to be a block in the back. Man. It was, yeah, I mean, yeah. yeah. Maybe the ref got caught up in it and just and and uh, couldn't throw the flag. Or, or Foskey perhaps... projecting the uh, quarterback into the receiver, oh. like made oh. up for the block in the back. So that yeah. I think it's like offsetting. Let the play continue. Well, think about that, Foskey. He gets the strip sack, goes to the ground. Gets up and then it ends up leading the leading the well, way with Jason Adamalola. Pretty impressive. That was his story. His his post game interview he included. I want everybody to know. I wanted Myron to know. I blocked for him the entire time. Like, yeah. Look, he said he was pointing out. Look, that's me blocking for you. That's, yes, that's pretty good. Yeah, good stuff. Jack Cohn, another strong performance after a, you know, taking a couple bad sacks because the. Uh, the right tackle wasn't moving his feet, but the right tackle, uh, yeah, I was not aware of Lug and Patterson still being under the weather or, or actually that maybe day. being under the yeah. weather that day. Um, you know, so the offensive line continues to progress. That's not a, that's not a terrible, whereas I said that the Virginia D line was terrible. That was not a terrible Georgia tech D line. It wasn't a good one, but it wasn't nearly as bad as the one they had previously played against. And, uh, you know, and it was just, it was great to see. We're not going to get in too much with the, the backups because we have questions in the second sub segment, but obviously Audric Estime, which, uh, you know, people remember, Tim, you saw that thread of people uh, talking about greatest Notre Dame names of all time. Oh, yeah. I think, I think Audric Estime is, is right up there, right up there. And he was, he put forth a very strong performance, but um, you know, we saw extended time with, with Tyler Buckner, your guys, you guys, your impressions uh, of his second half performance. I mean, he remains. That, he, yeah, ahead. I just, yeah. I, I was just going to say that was probably one of the times I came away being like, eh, like I thought that he's played enough now that we can watch him and be like, I thought that would should be better. Um, so that, that was my takeaway. I was not, he was, uh, he, he was functioning, you know, part of the time behind a backup 
yeah. offensive line. Quinn Carroll, I know, all, cut somebody all free. All the caveats of, like, don't read too much into yep, it. Yep, um, yep. But it's like when you look through it and it's like, huh, there's a lot of third and tens here. Um, and then, you know, Kelly even pointed out after the game when I asked, there was – he threw to Salerno, who was basically in the middle of three Georgia Tech defenders when Colsey's running uncovered underneath. You imagine they hit Chase Claypool on that style of play a lot. Uh, when he was here with Ian Book, like, you know, the, the ability to check down to, to to see a second read or a third read is it's all a work in progress and that's fine. But um, I definitely didn't come away from the performance thinking like, yes, this is it. Like, this is happening. Like, this is the, a star quarterback, like, next year for sure yeah maybe just it's, got, he's got a lot of growth that's fine. yeah maybe it's unfair for us to look at that and expect that mm-hmm. although he does have some playing time this year and and again working behind the second um offensive line so that's somebody, really a big part i think You're, that's a great point <laughs> i saw a tweet like wow this this backup offensive line isn't very good i in my 40 years of covering notre dame <laughs> i've never said wow this is a real cohesive backup second unit on the offense ever has happened it's impossible it, it can't happen so um two guys got their first scrimmage action this year dirksen and spindler that's their well, first nording nording has spindler played. listed as having played against cincinnati but i right. i think that's not possible i think dirksen plays a lot on special teams i, I mean maybe he could have played on uh maybe uh, spindler went in on special teams on a conversion because somebody hurt their mm, ankle too yeah. you know he had no snaps from scrimmage. I know that, but yeah. Well, let's let's go to segment two here. We'll talk about Spindler and, and Estime and some young guys in segment two, burning up the boards. Thank you for listening to the Irish Illustrated Insider Podcast. If you enjoy our coverage of Notre Dame football, please consider supporting the podcast with a small donation. Go to irishillustrated.com/support. Your support will help Irish Illustrated continue to be the leader in coverage of Notre Dame athletics. Segment two, burning up the boards, questions from our readers and listeners. Just a reminder, we will be doing the podcast, uh, our next podcast on Wednesday, November 24th. At that time, after the committee, the college football playoff committee has spoken on Tuesday night, we'll discuss that further. It may come up with our questions here, but, uh, We'll wait until we see Notre Dame slotted number six and then give you the scenarios on Wednesday. Okay, starting with a question from Michael, 7258-0901. I hope it didn't screw up that number. Why do you think the defense is playing better without Kyle Hamilton? Coaching. Uh, adapting to the coaching. Opponents. Opponents are obviously a huge part number of it because the, the defense was not playing better without Kyle Hamilton against North Carolina. I think they did a heck of a job against USC, but as I think it was Pete that pointed out going into that North Carolina game, let's see what happens when a team knows Kyle Hamilton is not in the right. game. Um, but they have been, and the players say it's because of uh, the North Carolina game and the Navy week of practice. That's the exact answer is they learned attention to detail because you have to for the option and they've carried it over to these last couple of weeks. Yeah. It's, I mean, uh, opponent number one, but, I would give DJ Brown and Ramon Henderson a lot of credit for mm-hmm. elevating their level of play. Cause it's like, I mean, it's the same DJ Brown who we saw at Florida state and the coaches saw at Florida state. And then they benched him uh, against Toledo right. a week later. Now he's playing a ton of snaps and like they, I think they've come to terms with like Houston Griffith started the year as a starter, but it's not going to finish the year really that way in terms of snaps logged. They've right. 
different guys have progressed at different rates and the coaches have been open to that. Yeah. NBC had uh, Houston Griffith listed as a starter right at the beginning of the game, but it was Henderson and Henderson again, it wasn't as dramatic as it was against Virginia, but Henderson once again, looks so much more comfortable at safety and his length, which didn't really seem to play well at corner is, is visible when you see him playing safety and, and Xavier Watts, I mean, I just, if Xavier Watts has any sense about him, which I'm sure he does, uh, he has all the physical tools to be a really good, really good safety. The defense has been very fun to watch too. I think that was a something you were kind of frustrated with them early on when they were cutting loose long runs of the big plays and everything. Um, but Tim, you asked Brian Kelly on Saturday night, right? Why the defense has improved so much, and he started with some coaching answers. Gap responsibility and zone coverage, bunch awareness and man coverage. Every opponent knew we played a lot of man, <clears throat> excuse me, early on, and we had to start mixing things up. But he says at the end of the day, it's getting acclimated to the new system and feeling comfortable in it. And Which is something. Makes total sense. I, yep. It, we said it from the outset that, um, you know, again, and it, it was it was Marcus Freeman's first year at Cincinnati in 2017, so that explains a lot too, but they were terrible defensively. And then they became a top 10 defense over the next three years. So when you change a philosophy as dramatically as they have, and offense did too, but not to that extent, when you, when you change it that dramatically, you just, you can talk about it. You can practice it. You can watch all the damn film you want to watch, but until you get in game situations and make mistakes so that you can correct them. And then of course, again, number one is that the, the, the teams that they're playing here in the second half of the season which is what we said during the bye week that hey, it's going to, it's going to ease up for Notre Dame. Um, you know, it's just, it's, a, it's a lot of factors and I wouldn't say that they're, <laughs> I mean, only a fool would say they're better without Kyle Hamilton, but those other guys are playing good football. Next from Taddy 95, a couple sports casters have speculated that Brian Kelly would be an excellent hire at USC. Any insight why they would think that I don't think he would go, but one commented that Kelly has taken Notre Dame as far as he can. Well, the one that said he's taken Notre Dame as far as he can, of course, was Desmond Howard. So you can put things in perspective with that comment. But I asked Brian Kelly about it today, asked if he would leave Notre Dame. Outside of retiring from coaching, asked if he would leave Notre Dame of his own volition. And he did list one caveat that he had to run by his wife, that if somebody offered him a $250 million contract, he might jump at it. But he said he would not leave Notre Dame under his own volition. For another job, did I did I interpret what he said correctly there? Yes, he also yeah, said no, you, a theory. You, you asked comes it in. well too. Yeah. yeah, it's like he didn't. His first answer was like, "Uh, that could have been more definitive," but it doesn't get more definitive than the volition question when he said yeah, no. It, it was it it was necessary to to ask that question. Now, you know, you can he can he can do whatever he wants when he wakes up tomorrow and do something differently. But I thought that that it was. You know, because Herb Street keeps coming back to it. And it's like, do you do you know something or why do you he yeah. said again during game day Saturday morning? I mean, why do you keep coming back to this? Uh, you know, this Trace Armstrong slipping you, you know, money under the table here, or is you <laughs> do you have a connection with USC that's prompting you to say this? Because it's not based in any reality. It's just, oh, there's a job opening. And would would Brian Kelly be a good coach at USC. But the, the point is, Brian Kelly's not going to do that at this stage of his career. Right? Can you imagine him going That's, into a 
USC situation, which couldn't be much different. It couldn't possibly be any different than, than, uh, or more different than Notre Dame. And then start things over again, because that is a rebuild, maybe not necessarily in overall talent, but just philosophy and culture. And he doesn't want to do that at this stage of his career. No, I think that's totally lost on people. And I think that if you, if you're around USC, you talk to people that cover them, like their roster is, is not good. I mean, it's not, I know it's not because of the last few years, but right. It's like, if you told me Brian Kelly would be inheriting USC's 2003 roster, I'd be like, get, get, get out of here. Like, right. Don't coach that group. But like, it's not a, it's not a talented team right now um, in the right places on top of the culture stuff. And I mean, I think, you know, we're all sort of in the mindset that Brian Kelly is like, certainly well into the back nine of his coaching career uh, and to restart it, like it's just sort of no thanks. He's got Notre Dame rolling. He's much more comfortable at Notre Dame than he would be at USC in in a restart, as you mentioned, Pete. And I honestly believe that he is well aware of the fact that the only way to be hated for the rest of his life by Notre Dame fans (laughs) is to not win a championship and go to USC. I mean, there's some, there's a plenty of self-awareness there that as a, once again, if you're not offered $250 million to not care what people think about you, he probably cares a little bit about what people think about him. Right. Yeah, he, he, he does. And I don't, I mean, I just don't think at this stage, I don't think Brian Kelly feels the need for $250 million. He just doesn't question from Denver Maximus last week. You guys went over players most likely to return to Notre Dame. Who do you think will leave via the transfer portal or grad transfer? I think on the way out, um, you know, Jay Bramblett was honored on senior day. He's a junior. Yep. Notre Dame took a commitment from a punter over the weekend. Um, and I was told that Jay Bramblett intends to grad transfer out. Tim, you asked Brian Kelly about this directly. And Brian Kelly's like, yeah, I don't want to, I don't want to talk about it. Um, but he did acknowledge but, that the conversation has been right, has taken you place. Know, it, but, you know, Bramblett, right, from what I've told, Bramblett doesn't have a destination set, but he'd like to be closer to home. Um, he's from Tuscaloosa. His dad is a high school coach down there. And my understanding is, like, for his dad to come see him play, he drives to the Birmingham airport at 3 in the morning, sleeps there, gets up, takes a flight to Atlanta, that then goes to Chicago, then he rents a car or Ubers or takes a train to South Bend. Like that's, that's like real life stuff that we don't really think about. Um, you know, you want you want to see your kids play or you want your, your parents to see you play. Um, you know, Bramble came here. He will leave, he would leave as a grad transfer. Um, right, he got his degree. So he, I, I think he would have options. Like, you know, people, I think when people, found out about this over the weekend they were like was well, he going to go pro and I'm like no he, he likes punting um and there's plenty of colleges that need a good punter and he he would be one so i think that's that's one that i think caught me a surprise when i found out about it on friday or slash saturday um but it makes sense what you sort of peel back uh, the layers on it well i don't know what alabama's punting situation whether they have a guy that's about ready to leave after the season yeah i, yeah, I don't know either i mean he's 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 not a boomer but you can't he can play for alabama i mean he's a, he's a really effective punter that saves yeah. you yards in in many different ways i you know by the way uh pete don't steal this or maybe you've already done the story uh that's a great story what families 
have to deal with travel wise to get to Notre Dame games. Cause we both know parents that go through hell and back to get to, you know, these games, you know, and not just at Notre Dame, but on the road too. It's a, it's an, and think about doing that for, you know, three, four years. Uh, That would be tough. Not only might strap you a little bit financially over the course of it all. I would think there'd be Uh, a yeah, we got other transfers. guys. To, yeah, I was uh, writing them down. I don't want to say names of people I think are going to transfer because that's delicate. And speaking of bringing parents and families involved, I wrote down about eleven names off the top of my head. Okay, well we, we've I talked about nine of these guys are gone. We've talked about Flemister being a guy that yeah you know, he well, wants that, to play. So yeah, yeah, that's a total grad transfer situation where he right. should go somewhere yeah. and play. I mean, that's supported by the team and I mean and the staff. I would think you know that's. Yeah, and I just think look when you look at the roster, like, okay, there's a bunch of young defensive backs. Well, there are jobs that are going to be open moving forward, and so I wouldn't think anybody would – any of the young players would panic there. Now, on the offensive line, with Joe Alt establishing himself, and then we know Blake Fisher is going to be a starter next year, you know, that could impact some of the younger offensive linemen when they look – you know, they look at the situation about – you know, moving forward. I mean, if Patterson comes back, it impacts a young, a young impacts younger offensive linemen in the interior. If Josh Lug returns, it impacts young offensive linemen at tackle. Because yeah, that's like if that's you're, you're watching. If you're Zeke Carell and you're a center, and maybe maybe you're only a center, but Jared Patterson returns, then you're like, well, what am I supposed to do? I really want to play. Um, you know, I think he would be. He was in Hamilton's class. He did early enrollment. I don't know how close he would be to graduating from Notre Dame, but um, you know, it's like there are guys that eventually that clock is like, well, I got to get on the field somewhere, and if I can get my degree and then get on the field somewhere else, like, go for it. And uh, Lawrence Keys uh, announced Tulane, right? Yeah, on, uh, on Saturday oh, I did night. Not see that. Yeah, yeah, on Saturday night he did, which was a strange timing of that, but. I, you know, Tim, I respect you don't want to mention names. I'm going to throw a couple names out just as examples. I have, I have, I'm not suggesting that they are considering leaving, but you know, if, if Joe Alt and, and Blake Fisher are your tackles of the next couple of years, I mean, a guy like Caleb Johnson, who's a true freshman that I think people have probably forgotten about that. That's not very promising. It's doesn't look real promising for Tosh Baker with those two guys. And Baker is probably limited to being a tackle at six foot eight. So, you know, this is something, and these are legitimate questions. It, it will continue to pop up and will become more acute as we move forward as guys become, you know, with each passing year, more and more going to transfer because they see other guys do it and you get the immediate eligibility of playing. So, yeah, and really, who, I mean, what, what hurt Notre Dame in the last, that massive exodus of last year? I, I wrote on our message board, this is a good thing for programs, and some people went absolutely yes. crazy. Like, what are you talking about? It's a great thing for programs, and now you're learning it. Um, it's going to happen again, and sometimes you lose a guy you could use. I mean, obviously, Phil Dracovic was a person Notre Dame would love to have on the <laughs> football team. That is different than guys going at the back of the roster. I think Ovia Gofo, I was surprised he transferred because he would have played a role. But you know what happens when he transfers and you recruit correctly? Jordan Botello steps into the role. Yeah. It, those, those things work out fine. And they always. Uh, how, I mean, how often do we look at the snap counts of your name's transfers elsewhere and be like, is this site working? Because it doesn't look like they're, they're playing where they are now. Um, that happens a lot. Um, but they yeah, I mean, Jakovic is clearly. Oh, gosh. Yeah. <clears throat> the outlier on all of this. Every, every, everybody else who's left. 
I'm not sure I could pick out one that would say like, ah, I can see where they they got that they got that huge opportunity that they were looking for. I mean, Derek L was in the stadium this weekend. Yeah, at Georgia, at Georgia Tech, you know, and he's not he's not sort of really a, a main player there. Not that Michael Young would be the difference between the Cincinnati win and loss, but Michael Young bettered his probably his college football experience, right? He became a certain starter at, at Cincinnati. And I think he would have still started for Notre Dame. Uh, he would be gone, though. He would not, no, he could, he would have come back from the COVID year. He would be a, a yeah. fifth year senior. And clearly he would have ended up starting at Notre Dame this year because everybody left, yeah. but uh, they all got hurt. But I, I think, not that, it, not that it's a knockout, but I think Michael Young probably is glad he transferred. Is that? Yeah, I, I can get that one. Um, you know, but it's like even his stats last year, what <clears throat> he had 29 catches for 332 yards last year, but I he probably have wouldn't have Dame had either. that at Notre Dame. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. I mean, Cincinnati spreads the ball around quite a bit. Um, you know, George Takis is a guy that, you know, maybe he wants to get a year of playing time in. I'm sure he's going to get his degree. Um, and he knows that Michael Mayer is, has to come back. Uh, he might have his degree. He's an early enrollee too. Yeah. Right? Um, yeah. And yeah. he, I, I think I said this last week, like he, I asked him about that. He's like, I'm going to play football as a fifth year senior. I don't know where it's going to be yet. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Let me defensive backs on, on scholarship. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14. Bear with me. 15, 15. I count 15 DBs on scholarship at some point, if not after this year, at some point, that's where, uh, you know, some of the players will be siphoned off where they can go play, uh, play somewhere else. Speaking Wash- of grad transfers and not being grad transfers, Tim, Wash ND, after watching Bo Bauer play with his considerable hair on fire the last few weeks, he needs to come back, doesn't he? With the way he is playing ascending, he could raise his draft status as the starting middle linebacker for Notre Dame next year, instead of hoping to latch on to a team as a special teams ace in this draft. Yeah, it makes about, it, it's similar in Isaiah Foskey coming back for a year. It makes complete sense for Bo Bauer. He's spending a, a long time on the Notre Dame campus, but Brian Kelly said today that that Marcus Freeman's defense fits hit, fits him the best. So, man, he's always productive. He was productive again on Saturday. Uh, I'm anticipating that he comes back for a fifth year. You know, that would be a really I, uh, nice. Pay. That's a starter, right? Like that's absolutely sure. That's one of your top eleven guys on defense. I mean, he, I, uh, he's he's great on coverage teams. Every game, every game. I asked Bauer about this, um, not that if he was leaving, but about his future. And it was before he started playing well. And he certainly indicated he was, this was his last year of college. I would no longer think after the way he fits into this defense and what he's doing, that it'll be his last year of college. Cause I, I'm pretty sure he was looking at it in September. Like would I start next year, the way JD Bertrand was playing in September with Leah Fow coming back and everybody, I mean, Bo Bauer will win the starting Mike linebacker job next year. The one thing I disagree with a little bit is I don't know how much it affects his draft status because I just think he'll be a really good college linebacker next year and have to try to make it in the pros, but who cares? You get to start for Notre Dame and maybe make the playoffs four times in your college yeah. career. Well, I mean, he right? could, or three times or they'll make it this year. It's a, he could put a, himself in position to be a, a drafted seventh player. round. Draft. Yeah. Yeah. Right. yeah. Where he couldn't then, be drafted this year. So that's a good point. Right. Exactly. Right. And that, you know, I mean, in the NFL, I realize that they're going to, they're going to keep whoever they like the best, but you can't tell me it doesn't help you to be a six round draft draft choice as opposed to a, 
you know, a free agent. Uh, it's it's got to give you a, a slight step up at least. TM Pollard, based upon his level of play this year and ascending more the last four games, do you see Isaiah Foskey coming back in 2022 and putting himself in a position to be drafted in round one? Or does he leave now and take day two money? Pete, start with this one because uh, we both had questions on it, but you specifically asked about Foskey. Yes, I think we probably another thing we talked about on the podcast is comparing it to the Ronnie Stanley situation where you could leave via early two, late one, make really good money, or come back, be a high one, and make generational wealth. Um, that's that was what happened with Ronnie Stanley. And Brian Kelly was like, Yes, uh, we've already had conversations with Isaiah Foskey about this. We're not waiting until the very end, like we did with Ronnie Stanley, which I think. May I don't know if it was after the bowl game he went out to Las Vegas wow. to sit down with Stanley's family, or it was just after the regular season. It's probably after the bowl game because I don't know why Stanley would have gone home. I think you said I think we talked about this before, and we had placed it after the bowl game when we talked about it at the time, which is just oh, that's nuts. oh my gosh, it's one of the worst. And I mean, he referenced it, so he knows it was it was a tactical error on his part <laughs> as a program manager, and he did not make that mistake this time. They've already talked with Fosky. Um, we we preface this podcast by talking about one of our new favorite kids is the word we should use with Isaiah Foskey. They always say kids, right? When something go, don't talk about the kids. Isaiah Foskey is an enjoyable human being to talk to. And he seems to me like he wants to be in college. That is not the case with everybody. And I am, I have always kind of tongue in cheek said he's coming back, believing 50, 51% that he would. I do think he'll come back. And I think he, he wants to play for Notre Dame next year. His, his burst of laughter in talking about MTA's dance after the touchdown was just, it's so endearing. And it's, you know, you don't see that a lot. These guys are, these guys are grown men. They have to be grown men to do what yeah. they do. And you just don't, you don't see that unbridled, uh, you know, that just that. Awkward that, almost. <laughs> yeah, kind of. I mean, for the people, yeah, kind of for the people in the room. By the way, on the previous question. Jack Lamb had a scoop and score for follower saw Colorado that last week. Nice. Yeah. yeah. They won the upset win, right? Yeah. Speaking right. of, uh, of grad transfers from Notre Dame, uh, questions uh, tied to one another. First from Kennedy MJ eight. Were you impressed with Audric Estime's debut performance as you were with Logan Diggs? And then for matchup nine, what were your impressions of some of the younger players? Estime, Rocco Spindler, Prince Collie, et cetera. It's hard to categorize Estimate and Diggs and because Estimate came into a team that was dying to not be there anymore. <laughs> and, and he really almost broke one because that's a tough guy to tackle after four quarters of getting it handed to you. Uh, but Estimate, I, I, we knew this year wouldn't be for him, but I love the way he looked. I think pending Kyron Williams' decision, he's, he's going to be a valuable addition to the, to the team. Logan Diggs is He's a heck of a running back, man. I, I wouldn't go there yeah. yet with Estime. No, no. I mean, Logan Diggs is Logan Diggs is uh, a pretty unique talent so yeah. far. Um, so I'll stick with that over Audric Estime's impressive final drive. Uh, yeah. against, like you said, a team that wanted to get the hell out of there. <laughs> right. I did. You can't compare him just because of that. But man, he showed. Who would, I mean, like, who would you want to tackle less than Audric Estime when you already want to leave? Yes. No, he is the top of that list, man. That'd be awful. Now, no, no doubt. I, but I mean, he also showed really good foot speed getting to the edge. 
Uh, I think it looks like he protects the football well. Uh, It it was a very impressive performance for him, and I'm glad Notre Dame fans had a chance to see that because they are going to lose Kyron Williams, although it's my understanding that Kyron Williams got a little emotional after the game um, Saturday, so I wouldn't say that's a 100% decision, but when cooler heads prevail, he's going to know that he has to leave, but Estime was very impressive. As it relates to Rocco Spindler, I thought he played hard. I thought he played aggressively. Um, He worked his way to the second level unblocked. He did some really good things. He went square up on Brooks, number zero, their defensive lineman, and held his own. I still think that he has a long way to go strength-wise. And I don't think there's anybody that disagrees with that. I don't think Spindler himself would would disagree with that. And Prince Colley, uh, at one point I looked up on a pass downfield. And my first comment was, is that Prince Collie? Because that was about 35 yards yeah. downfield in coverage. So that that really bodes well. Yeah, he he. I thought he started a little slowly, but he found his run fits after that. Uh, it's great that, that, that those guys are getting some playing time um, because Colley, they have big plans for Prince Collie. Yeah. So the sooner you can get him ready, the better. Next from Any Davis, who is the most underappreciated player and coach on the roster? Uh, Elston underappreciated. Is not underappreciated, so he is not one of the odd Who would you say? Elston is not underappreciated. We oh. cannot use him for everything. No, and I, you know, is the underappreciated by fans or underappreciated within the program? I, I would assume it means fans. Yeah. And if it is so. fans, I would throw out the name. I've been defending him for a couple of weeks. I realize he doesn't make every play, and he's not good outside the tackle box, but. I mean, J.D. Bertrand's performance at, at Will Linebacker is such an upgrade over the, the, the guy that started the majority of the games last year. I don't know how you can't be. Yeah, I, you know, you miss some tackles, but he does a lot of good things for that. De- he, he's, in, he's right in the middle of the defense. It's given up nine points in three games. He can't be playing that poorly. Mine is Tariq Bracey. Yeah, he's certainly, he's certainly playing really good football yes. right now. He played I really mean- good football Saturday. I don't mean over his career, obviously. I mean, I mean, yeah. I mean, how his yeah. season is going this year. Obviously, he had a really rough year last year. But I think Tariq Bracey has really helped the secondary. Um, once again, they are not facing Montana, Elway, Marino these last three weeks. But I do think uh, Bracey has just shown that physicality that Brian Kelly talks about. Brian Kelly can't stop complimenting the guy, and that's kind of made me watch him to see what uh, what Kelly's talking about. He he looked really good again on Saturday. Um, I, this is a pretty weird answer, but I'll. I'm going to go Jack Cohn. Um, the guy is on track to set the single season potential career record for completion percentage here. And he may set the all-time winning percentage record for a starting quarterback at Notre Dame as well, which I don't yeah, think anyone one. would have saw coming earlier this season. I don't think, I don't think that's a weird answer at all. I think it's a really good answer. <laughs> I mean, he, you know, it, we, we tend to focus on negative plays and obviously he's got no explosiveness with his, with his legs and he, and he, you know, it's like, even when a, like a late blitzer or a defensive lineman comes off a block and it's, he is so late in seeing that, but I mean, we're nitpicking because he's really doing a, he's doing a really, really nice job during this six game winning streak. As you know, Pete and Tim, he will never be underappreciated again if he wins out and he will be despised as much as Ian book was after the Alabama game. If they lose another game. Right now that's true. 
I think Cade Mann's played really good football since That'd the beginning be, of the year. That's my other one. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think he's underappreciated. I still hear people saying, you know, can't they find a better right, right guard? Absolutely not. Not, not right now. Not at this stage of the season. Who else you guys have? Who, who's your underappreciated coach? Brian <laughs> Kelly already said it was Brian Pullian. So you have to choose somebody else. I will. Um, Underappreciated coach. Well, I, I'm going to. We throw just, up. I mean, Freeman and Elston don't count. No, I. I it's not count. I mean, <laughs> I asked about Chris O'Leary last week, and I know it sounds like he's getting a lot of help from Kerry Cooks and Mike Mike Mickens. But look at the way the safeties are playing. Yeah. We blame, and and of course, you know, Jeff Quinn's offensive line is doing a lot of good things here the second half of the season. But we, you know, we blame coaches when a guy plays poorly, but a lot of times we don't give credit to an assistant coach when that unit is playing well. Okay. I mean, I mean, Chris O'Leary's name did not come up in a press conference until week 10 last week. I mean, he's got to be the answer because Notre Dame beat USC, North Carolina. And although Virginia didn't have Brennan Armstrong without Kyle Hamilton. That's yeah, I mean, yeah, <laughs> it's, no, it's possible. Like, I'm trying to talk myself into McNulty here. Um, and I was going to until you brought up the whole no Kyle Hamilton thing with O'Leary. So I have to go with O'Leary. Yeah. But McNulty's done a really good job of does he get he's got to get, you know, I'm a big believer in, you know, credit and blame. And and I realize that Michael Mayer's a an amazing right. player, but he's an amazing player, but he was ready to play from day one. And the position coach has to get some credit for that. Yep. Right. Next, Ohio Gold. What are the chances of all the current Notre Dame commits signing? And what are you hearing about C.J. Williams and Tui Halamaka possibly looking at USC? Well, it, it definitely does not look good with C.J. Williams. And I don't think that they're going to be able to sign him. I guess the other one is Amorian Walker, another receiver. And if they don't sign him, then it's a, then it's a pretty, pretty tragic turn of events for Notre Dame's wide receiver recruiting. And that's why it's essential at this stage that yeah, man, you, re you really need Austin and Lindsey and Davis to come back because you don't know exactly what's going to happen to this recruiting class. Yeah, I don't, I don't have any insight. I, I mean, I saw the story with the quotes from C.J. Williams about Notre Dame taking some transfers, and I was, I was, I was shocked, honestly. Um, written a little bit on C.J. Williams, talked to the family, talked to the kid. Um, he seemed like as Notre Dame as it gets. Um, so I'm, I'm kind of surprised that he would have his head turned by USC, um, especially considering where that program is in contrast to where yeah. Notre Dame. I mean, they're, they're trending towards the playoffs and USC yeah. just gave up 60 against UCLA. <clears throat> Obviously you don't want to come to Notre Dame and he may be looking at the quarterback situation and, you know, but. And that's I, good. I don't know. I mean, I don't know what to say. If you don't want to come to Notre Dame as great as I think he is, I think he's a, I think he can be a day one impact guy for Notre Dame in, in 2022, but you can't, you can't convince somebody to come here if they don't want to be here. Yeah. You, you made me uh, kind of, when you said Austin, Lindsay Davis, all coming back, they do need them all back and Wilkins, but those are four one-year rentals, man. You need CJ. Will you need CJ Williams? No, I hate class. it. I, and, I mean, uh, I hate to hear it because I think he's a, I think he's a, a, a tremendous prospect. But what what are you going to do if you're not if Notre Dame trending towards the playoffs is not enough 
to impress you or to get you to sign after you already decided you want to go to Notre Dame. I'm not, Pete, I'm not aware of any others uh, that they might lose. Tui Alamaka, no. I, don't, I don't think they will. I don't think they'll yeah, lose I, No, I mean, I haven't heard anything on him um, yet, but it's just like Williams is just a real surprise uh, to me. Like, I mean, you know, you think about the late decisions to me are always the guys that I feel like Notre Dame could lose or they make a decision after one visit. Um, you know, and CJ Williams doesn't really fit either of those camps. Um, just, I don't know, that, that would, that would be a really strange defection to me. That, Amore, like if they lose Amore and Walker, I think even Notre Dame is like, well, there's not much else we could have done there. Yeah. Um, CJ Williams would hurt on a completely different level. Yeah. Well, hey, by the way, um, you know, any guy in the country can he can transfer and play right away. We get we got a COVID year, we got fifth years, we have six years, but Jack Cohn can't come back and play for Notre Dame. There's something unnecessarily punitive about that man. It's a strange. It's a strange I, I, don't, I mean, thing. I do not. I do not understand that. Why? Because he got hurt and <clears throat> didn't play. It's ridiculous. We're we're giving everybody in the country a free pass. But Jack Cohn can't get another year at Notre Dame. <laughs> I don't get it. I don't get it. We're with you. Uh, I just and, don't want to do a depth chart impact story on Freddie Canteen's brother having to replace C.J. Williams <laughs> on that roster next year. So let's go ahead and keep C.J. Williams in the uh, in the fold, huh? Question from NDJRS, ND Juniors, I assume. What is Drew Pine's status? Is he still listed as second on the depth chart? Is he hurt? Are they preserving him for some sort of redshirt thing? Is he on double secret probation? And why doesn't the media seem interested in learning why he's not playing? Uh, I mean, why? I, I'm not interested in why he's not playing because Pete just explained something to you about Jack Cohn. Ever since Jack Cohn has reappeared in the lineup, he could set two, two of the most important records in single season history for Notre Dame quarterback. Drew Pine didn't beat out Jack Cohn. Brian Kelly told us if he was better, I would play him. It was pretty definitive for me since then. And man, people love Drew Pine. This is like taking the love of the backup quarterback to a new level. Everybody I mean, the backup we're quarterback, but goodness. we we share we do share some blame in this because after the Cincinnati game, I think we all wrote like, "Why aren't they so, move to Drew Pine? This is ridiculous." Um, and I guess Brian Kelly knew better than us. Like, who should be starting? Yeah, uh, I do. I, I was told he did suffer an injury on the practice field. I don't know how that happened or. Drew Pine. Exactly. Yes, exactly. Huh. When it happened, I think it was like several weeks ago. He was. I watched him warm up on the sidelines on Saturday to the point I thought he was going in, and then they they didn't. Right. Uh, so there there was that. And secondly, Buckner needs Buckner needs more snaps than Drew Pine for what you're trying to accomplish this year. Just let's no. let's throw next year out of it. Throw next year completely out of it. You Buckner is your alternate quarterback that has to help you beat Georgia. Is your goal right now? Yeah, you can't make everybody happy because if Buckner's playing, if Buckner's not playing this past Saturday and Pine is, then you have that, the Buckner faction that's upset about it. As far as us not asking about it, we have 30 minutes with Brian Kelly on Monday and 15 minutes with Brian Kelly on Thursday. Asking about the third string quarterback as your, his team is trending to the playoffs would be a stupid question to ask. 
my favorite thing in podcast history is I now have a screenshot of Pete Sampson's face when I said Notre Dame trying to beat Georgia. And I took a photo there. That's going to be my <laughs> new, it's uh, going to pop up on my phone from now on. It's going to replace me. You, that is, yeah. <laughs> it's kind of what they're looking at, though, right? They're trying yeah. to prepare to be number four. And you know what that means. It's Georgia or Alabama. Alabama beats Georgia, I was assuming. Of course. Jump up. Yeah. 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 So you got to get Tyler Buckner ready as much as you can, even if it's 10 snaps that game. You can't please them all, man. You can't please them all. We're going to end with a question from Kay Beasley. What can Notre Dame do on the field? To stay ahead of one loss, big the one loss, Big Twelve champ, or two loss, Alabama. Nothing. Yeah, yeah I don't think there's an easy problem. answer here. Yeah, Although I, I think mean, no, there no, there's a super easy answer. Nothing. Um, it's they can't do anything against Stanford. If they beat them fifty nine to zero, it will not make one bit of difference when it comes to evaluating Notre Dame against two loss Alabama or one loss. Oklahoma State or Oklahoma, it all comes down to who has the losses. And then in Alabama's case, like, what does that loss against Georgia look like? Did they get 34-7? I mean, does it look like Notre Dame versus Clemson last year in in Charlotte? Well, I think Alabama might be in trouble if that that happens. But if it's 34-31, then, like, Alabama's in. And I think Notre Dame's in a lot of trouble there. Frank Kelly acknowledged that – that there probably wasn't anything that they could do against Stanford to, you know, to raise their profile with, within the, the, the committee. Um, no, but they cannot, they shouldn't win 17 to seven. I'll tell you that. No, no, nope. you can hurt, you yeah, can, you hurt, can hurt, yourself, hurt yourself, but yeah. right. Yeah. And I, I still think, yeah. I mean, again, look how we felt. I think I said this in incident analysis, Tim, look how, you know, when we're recording that it was 55, nothing game. Well, everybody feels differently about it. You, me, fans, yeah. coaches, players playoff committee everybody's going to feel a little bit differently about it i have not watched a lot of the playoff committee um for obvious reasons but it i do think it's it's kind of a fun snow job going on right now they're like oh notre dame just keeps rolling over these teams like virginia 28 to 3 that's an impressive win i mean what are you watching if you didn't know that virginia didn't have their quarterback i am all for their ignorance but they're acting like that was this big that was their big signature win Right? It wasn't. Wisconsin yeah, I don't think it was. Win. I mean, I think Notre Dame is the fourth or fifth best team, fourth, fifth, or sixth best team in the country. And they're way away from number two. Okay. Like Georgia, yes. Ohio State, and probably Alabama. <clears throat> and then I think I can argue them four, five, six. You can argue them seven. Oklahoma State's playing well. Michigan's playing well. Cincinnati's a good team to beat Notre Dame. So four, five, six, seven, fine. But like, it's not, it's not because I've been watching and being like, man, I can't believe how they took apart Virginia. They just keep rolling. It's that's, it's just they're a really good team, and I hope they can fight off Oklahoma State if they win the Big 12. I don't necessarily think they will. I do think they would fight off Oklahoma, though, because I don't think Oklahoma's thought of very highly by the committee. No, but um, if, if Notre Dame wins 42-3 to against Virginia, which they easily could have and should have, yeah. you, you feel differently about it. No, but you – you would I just still know they feel differently about it. Yes, it's always better to, to completely <clears throat> take care of business like they did against Georgia Tech. I mean, they absolutely com- did it. They, they beat Georgia Tech as much as you could beat somebody by. Like, they totally dominated them. Right. But, I mean, Brian Kelly said it. They lost control of the argument when they lost to yep. Cincinnati. Yep. And that's that's the world that they're living in. That they kind of, you know, they created that for themselves. Um, and I, I, will, I will have no argument 
against Oklahoma State making it over Notre Dame if no, they're 12-1. I, I, I probably wouldn't have an argument with Oklahoma making over Notre Dame at 12-1, considering they will have just beaten Oklahoma State twice, I think. I think that would be how that would work. Yeah, and, and, and no, you it, do make a point there because I'm talking about how bad I've seen Oklahoma look, but you know right. what? We've seen Notre Dame look bad too in the in the in the distant past. So well, two two wins back to back wins over Oklahoma State would be more than what Notre Dame has accomplished. It just that would be better. Be. It's like I mean, someone is arguing with Alabama. It's like if Alabama, um, play, you know, if they beat Auburn, they they would have some quality wins. Auburn uh, is and, sixth in their own side of their conference. Yeah, it's they they would still have some good wins. Like, would they have one as good as Wisconsin? Probably not, but I think that they would have ones better than basically all of Notre Dame's yes. other ones. Yeah, Notre Dame doesn't have a lot other than Wisconsin. Okay, Pete, how about this, though? Oklahoma State, let's leave Oklahoma State out of it because I think the committee really likes them like they like Notre Dame. And if you're giving them a win over Oklahoma and a win over Oklahoma or Baylor, yeah. that's, pro- that's a problem. <clears throat> let's say Oklahoma does that. And Wisconsin wins the Big Ten. That's a huge win. And I do not believe they like Oklahoma the way they used to like Oklahoma, the committee this year. You saw that by their ranking when they were undefeated and they were eighth. Right. right. And then they really dropped. Yeah. I mean, I, I just think Oklahoma State <laughs> is the hurdle that now Notre Dame fans are looking at that they weren't last week. Um, yeah. But- yeah, absolutely. They're like, this is kind of the objects are closer than they appear, uh, even though they're one spot behind Notre Dame. Yeah. I think in their in Notre Dame fans' mind, they're like, well, we can't get jumped by Oklahoma State. Well, yeah, you're right. That's yeah, what's going to happen. They could. I'm and jumping ahead here to the SEC championship game. There's this. All I hear is, well, if Alabama loses close to Georgia, they could still be in. We're to the point where we're going to assume that Alabama is going to lose to Georgia. Really? No, but we know we know that Notre Dame is in a lot of trouble if Alabama beats Georgia. Well, exactly, and that's yeah. my point. If Alabama beats Georgia, Alabama's in. Georgia's in. If Cincinnati keeps winning. They're in, and the winner of Ohio State, Michigan, as long as they don't lose to Wisconsin. Has to lose to Wisconsin. Yep. You think Ohio State's going to lose to Wisconsin? No, but they Michigan could lose to Wisconsin. They could. They could. I still believe Michigan can give Ohio State a hell of a game this week. I I do. I do. I want to bring this up because I put it in Monday music. You don't even have to read Monday music. You guys just listen to this. It's over. I just, (laughs) I just, I just absolutely stole from everything. I want you to remember something about Ohio State and being prisoner of the moment. Okay. 14 days before they put it on Michigan State, like I have never seen a team put it on a top 10 team. I don't think, well, since they did it to Michigan, since the last time Ohio State did it to Michigan. 14 days prior, they led Nebraska by six in the fourth quarter. Yeah. The same team. So yeah. don't be a complete prisoner of the moment. Now, if you're going to say everybody's playing their best, I don't want any piece of Ohio State, but I have been saying that since 2015. Yes, you're an early adopter of that, sir. All right, we'll have more to talk about this uh, this topic uh, on Wednesday after the, the committee has voted uh, Tuesday night. And uh, we will talk Stanford. We will actually get into details about Stanford football in Wednesday's podcast. We appreciate you joining us. This has been Irish Illustrated Insider. Looking for a gift for the Notre Dame fan on your holiday shopping list? Help them commemorate their first Notre Dame game or loyalty to the Fighting Irish with a Notre Dame Football Heritage Project Certificate. Your donation, 
$5 minimum will help the Aeroparsegian Medical Research Fund and the Notre Dame Gallivan Journalism Program. Visit ndcertificate.com to learn more.